All right, well, we're getting settled here. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. And if you do not have a Bible, um, you're going to need one today again to follow along in. And if you do not have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use and follow along in. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not have a Bible of your own, will you please just accept that as our gift to you? Keep that Bible and take it with you. Um, great celebration um, hearing about last weekend and our middle schoolers being up on their fall retreat out at Trout Lake Camp, um, celebrating over uh, one of our youth making a, a first-time decision to follow Jesus Christ while they were up there. And uh, yeah, yeah. And several others who just rededicated their lives to Christ and were really touched by what happened up there and just praise God for the the speakers that they find that really speak to our teens and for the the huge things that happen every year at the fall retreats. Um, Let's start things a little bit differently this morning. Will you just please bow your heads and close your eyes with me right now? And this just... uh, came to me as we were getting ready for this time here just this morning. Um, I want you to do something right now um, that I think we're going to have to do if we're going to take away what God wants us to take away from this message and from this series that we've been doing on the subject of lust. So in your own moment here, in the quietness of your own heart, I want you to do something um, First of all, just answer the question inside yourself. Do you struggle with lust? Is this an issue for you? Is this a weakness for you? Is this something that you've had a hard time with? Is this something that you're in bondage to? And I'm not just talking about uh, the way it plays out in our sexuality, but also in, in terms of finding your life, finding your satisfaction in something other than God or in someone other than God? Are you lusting after something that the world can offer you, something that somebody else can offer you that really only God can offer you? Are you struggling with this? Is lust an issue for you? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything. I want you to answer that before God right now in this moment. And just say, yes, God, I am struggling with this. He knows. But he needs to hear you say it. He needs to hear you communicate that to him. And and if you are, which I believe most, if not all of us are, then I want you to just get this image in your head of a door. Because we have a tendency to think that our, our lust is something that we fulfill behind a closed door. And what I want you to do in your mind, in your heart right now, It's just open that door. And I want you to invite God to come into that room, into that private place where your lust takes shape, where you pursue your lust. Just as we were singing two songs ago, there was a line in there that went something like this. It was, there's no place where we can't find peace. I tell you what, lust is one of those places where we don't think we can find peace. So I want you to just believe that you can find peace by opening that door 
and inviting God in to do what he needs to do in that place, in that place of lust. Will you do that this morning in your heart? Father, we invite you in this morning to do what needs to be done in our lives. We invite you in to have your way. We invite you in to use your power to break the chains, to break the hold that lust has on us. Father, we admit that this is something that we we try hard to keep secret. We try hard to to believe that this is something private. But nothing is private to you. Help us, Father, this morning to, to realize that you can bring peace in that private thing that we're wrestling with. That you can bring freedom. That you can become for us everything that we need so that whatever it is we're pursuing when we lust will absolutely pale and seem valueless to us. Father, guide us through the things we're going to talk about this morning and the, more than that, the, the way it applies to our own lives. I pray for each and every one in this room who is wrestling with this, who struggles with lust, who struggles to break free from things like pornography and other issues that are keeping them captive. God, give them freedom this morning. We commit this time as we listen to you and invite you into this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this morning we're going to take one more pass at Christ's words on the subject of lust. Jesus chose to speak to this issue early on in the Sermon on the Mount, and I think that's significant. He knew that people struggled with lust and that they would struggle with it 2,000 years later in our day and age. And so he addressed it even in his first recorded sermon, a message that would impact his listeners in a profound way. And would reveal and establish his authority right off the bat. He chose to talk about lust. Last week we looked at the presence of grace. In the way that Jesus addresses us. We acknowledge that grace is the source of our victory over things like lust. Not the reward we get for conquering lust on our own. We acknowledge the need for a spiritual solution to a flesh problem. It's God that defeats sin in us. We acknowledge the perspective that God has when he sees our sin, that he sees grace in that picture. But we cannot deny the fact that lust is sin. And Jesus had some very strong words to say about it and about its power. And so let's go back once more to Matthew chapter 5. Verses 27 to 30, and we'll listen to Jesus. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Matthew 5, 27 to 30. Jesus is, once again, getting to the heart of the matter. He spoke into the issue of anger, and now he's speaking into the issue of lust. And again, he's correcting the ways in which the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, 
were twisting God's laws around to make them easier to follow and to remove their own feelings of guilt. And that seems to be a natural human tendency, doesn't it? We'll go to great lengths to justify or minimize the sin in our lives so that we don't have to face that guilt so heavily. In the Ten Commandments, God made it clear that coveting your neighbor's wife was wrong. Even then, he spoke to the lust issue and not just in the sexual realm. He mentions your neighbor's house, wife, servants, livestock, and then anything that belongs to somebody else. And covet and lust in the scriptures have very, very similar meanings. God created us with the ability to passionately desire some things. But his desire is that we passionately desire the right things, not just things that we don't have. Ultimately, our desires are to be for him and he will satisfy us. He'll be everything that we need. And so Jesus addresses the step before the act of adultery, the lust that leads to more sin. He moves the line back to where it's supposed to be. The line is in the heart, not in the actions, not in the behavior. And so this is what he says in Matthew five twenty-seven to 30. He says, you have heard it said, heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's where the line had been moved to. But I say to you, now he's pulling the line back, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Such strong words. This is another of those pictures where we're going to find God's balance of grace and truth. God has a policy regarding sin. It's a zero tolerance policy. He's never going to go easy on sin. Death has always been the penalty for sin. But God also has a policy on grace, and his policy on grace is that every single one of us deserves it. Grace is the reason why you and I are still alive and will even live forever. Last Sunday, we looked deeply into God's gracious heart. This morning, we'll look again at holiness and the need for us to fight against the power of lust in our lives. So I'm going to break this message down into three parts. First, we'll consider why we should be engaged in the fight to conquer lust. Then we'll look at some perspective that we ought to have in this battle. And finally, we'll look at some practical tactics that we can use in this battle. Men, let me speak to you directly for a minute here. You know how big an issue lust is for us. You know our culture is saturated with images and all kinds of things that awaken our sexual desires as men. We are visually stimulated creatures. There's no denying that. All kinds of surveys have been done on how many men are addicted to pornography, what percentage of the population, even within the church. And the numbers are, are staggering. They're alarming. They're terrible. But rather than entertain you with numbers this morning, I want to challenge you regarding your own battle. Because it's not the same for everybody. But you are not a statistic. 
You are a man created in the image of God and set apart for his purposes. And I fear that if I give you statistics, I'm just going to provide you with an opportunity for, to look for loopholes in the statistics that will put you on the right side of those statistics. Um, let's just assume this morning then that all of us struggle with this issue to some degree. And it is an issue of the heart. It is not an issue of how far you go or don't go with your lusting. Now, women, you may have noticed that Jesus was addressing men in his sermon, in the passage that we're looking at. Men were the ones who were present on the mountainside that day as Jesus spoke. But that does not automatically let women off the hook. There are many women in the church in America who also struggle with pornography. But lust is a bigger issue than that. The Bible has a lot to say about us finding our satisfaction, about finding our source of significance and security in something or someone other than God. So you be looking as well for what God has to say to you this morning. Let's get into some of our reasons for engaging in this battle against lust in our lives. Because we need a reason to fight. We need a reason to fight. God's grace is sometimes taken as an excuse not to fight. We know that God's going to forgive us, so we passively allow sin to remain in a place of power in our lives. If we're already saved, what's our motivation for controlling the power of sin? If we're already saved and we don't participate in overt, dramatic public sin, then why put the effort into defeating the private, seemingly insignificant sin in our lives? And that is the deceptive power of lust. We believe it's mostly a private affair. And let's use that term literally. It's usually private, but only from our human perspective. And it is an affair. But it's easy not to see it as an affair. So we get comfortable thinking that lust is this private, insignificant issue, one that's becoming more and more mainstream in our culture and more accepted so we can just stuff it deep into the recesses of our conscience and forget about it. However, based on his words in Matthew 5, Jesus clearly doesn't see lust like we see lust. He'd rather see us lose an eye or a hand than just allow us to hide or cover up this sin. So what's the big deal to him? Why the extreme words about dismemberment? <laughs> and I'll come back to the dismemberment part later. What's our motivation for doing combat with our lustful desires? First of all, I want to make it clear that there is no sitting on the sidelines in this battle. Paul's words in Ephesians 6 about putting on the whole armor of God acknowledge the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We stated last week that flesh can't defeat flesh. But Paul went on to describe how we can prepare for the battle, our battle. Our battle, one that we're going to have to fight if we want to experience any sort of freedom from the lust trap. Don't go so far as to think that God has to do this in us alone, that it's just his thing. He'll use us in the midst of this fight. We'll fight by his power, not our own, but we will fight. And we have to be motivated to engage in this battle. Last Sunday, we talked about the fact that we are citizens of God's kingdom and members of his family. That's our identity, and that identity applies to us, not just when we're in church, but even when we're alone in the basement or at the office or in our car or anywhere for that matter. 
We are always sons and daughters of God and citizens of his holy nation. Always. By God's grace, he's chosen to represent, he has chosen us to represent him throughout our lives. Every moment of our lives. And the desire to represent him well has got to be growing in us throughout our lives. As we mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I am God's child and I am a brother of Jesus Christ. I should act like God's child and a brother of Jesus Christ. As a child of God, I have access to everything that I need. And yes, I said everything. That's why David could sing that the Lord is his shepherd and that he lacked nothing. The Lord is your shepherd too and you lack nothing. Nothing. I lack nothing. So as those children and citizens, we have nothing lacking that we can justifiably lust after. Nothing. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Kim, and I want to be known as Kim's husband. I really do. That's who I am. And so I will act with her and with everyone else like I am Kim's husband. Because I am. But Kim's not always with me. And men, you know that's when we struggle the most. We struggle with lust the most when we're not with our wives. But with God, it's different. He is always with us. Every moment of every day, he always sees what we do. He always sees what we see. He always sees what we think even. As people who have been chosen and adopted by God, who are called by God, as people who are constantly in the presence of God, shouldn't we be a little more aware of his presence and our desire to be who he's chosen us to be? He's always there. He's always sufficient. He's always loving. He's always pursuing us. So think for a minute about some of the things that we do in his presence to satisfy our lustful desires. And I'm not saying this to shame us into change. I'm saying this with the hope that as we remember our identity more and more, we'll remember that we are always in the presence of the one who has given us our identity. And when we do these shameful things, we've got to agree that we're denying our identity. That's not who we are. Living out our identity means living out our calling to be holy. God said, be holy as I am holy. We're to be holy, to be set apart from the pursuit of the desires of our flesh. Because our Father is holy and we're his children. Jesus did not look upon any woman with lustful intent. He is our brother. And his spirit has taken up residence in us. So we need to daily declare who we are and then live as the people we are. We are forever forgiven children of God, adopted into his family through the sacrificial work of our brother, Jesus Christ. That's our eternal identity. Our temporal identity, the one of sinful products of a fallen world, is not our identity anymore. We'll fight that old self, but we are not that old self we need to stop living like we are that old self as if we're waiting to receive our new identity until we get to heaven we are the people that god has called us to be
right now. Right now. We like to live as if we have no enemies, don't we? Um, How could someone ever hate me? Look at all the friends that I have on Facebook. I can't think of one person in the whole world who could possibly hate me. Um, That may be true for you, but it's not for me. Um, Why isn't there an enemy category on our Facebook pages? I mean, look at how competitive we are in the friends category, right? Wouldn't it be interesting to be competitive in the enemies category? (laughs) Listen, I have an enemy. I have an enemy, but he's not identified as such anywhere, including Facebook. And so do you. You have an enemy. And all he wants to do is destroy you. So he's going to constantly put stuff in your path to do just that, to destroy you. He's going to try to deceive you into thinking that you're someone you're not. He's going to try to make, make you do things in front of your heavenly father that he thinks will make your father love you less or give up on you. He's going to distract you with things that will take your eyes off your father. He's going to do whatever he's allowed to do to try to make you forget your identity. He did this with Jesus and he does it with us. And for the most part, we're letting him get away with it. We're letting him draw us away from the security of being by our father's side. We're letting him lead us down roads that only lead to death. We're letting him beat the daylights out of us by luring us into something that temporarily makes us feel alive, but ultimately makes us feel even more dead than we were before we followed him down that horrible path. We're allowing him to beat us up using our own stupid fleshly urges, vices, fantasies, and delusions. And for what? All we get out of those things beyond the quick physical or emotional or intellectual high is grief and shame and resentment and guilt. And Satan wins. And our father grieves, which Satan happens to love because he hates God too. He'll give us that little moment in exchange for separation from our father and shame for ourselves because he hates us. Maybe it's time to fight back. Whose side are we really on here? Because we're not really doing this for ourselves. When we give in for our own sake, we're We're giving Satan this little momentary victory. And rather than giving in for ourselves, which ultimately we're not, we're doing something against God. Our allegiance is to someone who hates us, even if it's just for that moment. So fight back. For the sake of the one who loves us and wants what's best for his children, fight back. Husbands, let me challenge you with the reality of pornography for a minute before we get back to addressing everyone else. Husbands, when we give in to our lustful urges, I think I made it clear who we're hurting. We hurt God and we hurt ourselves. But in case that's not motivating enough for you, let me talk to you about our wives. They love us, husbands. 
And they desire to please us. They desire to be satisfying to us. They desire to meet the longing of our hearts. But when we go looking to other women on a screen or in a picture or in person to meet what we think is a need or even just to fulfill some flesh-driven urge, we hurt them. Whether we acknowledge it or not. Our wives love us. They're on our side, just like God is on our side. But when we see another woman's body and we lust after that body, we're setting that body up as a standard against our wives. And that will affect the way we see our wives. It will affect the way we treat our wives. What we feel that we've had in our fantasies will be used by our enemy to make us unsatisfied with what we do have in reality and our wives get hurt as a result of that. They become less significant to us, less beautiful to us, and we treat them differently as a result. Do not think for a moment that you can maintain your depth of love for your wife if you're pursuing your lust elsewhere. You won't. Her value will diminish in you, in your mind and in your heart. Now, we're to have a lustful desire for our wives, man. Um, Just read the Song of Solomon sometime. (laughs) Not during a service, please. It's okay for us to have a positive, lustful desire for our wives. But when we spend that desire on someone else, even just through images, we are damaging that connection, that oneness that we have with our wives. They mean less to us. And that is so wrong and so selfish. So fight back. Fight for your wife. Stop trying to cover up what you're doing to her. Fight back. Take a stand with God against the enemy and for your wife and your marriage. Start seeing lust as your mortal enemy because it is. Let me give you one more level of motivation for your fight. And this is not just a matter of you and me fighting over our fighting our private battles for the sake of restoring our identity and our relationships with our father and our relationships with our wives. Our fight against lust needs to be a real fight for another reason as well. Um, check out Paul's words. I'm just going to read them for you to the church in Corinth in second Corinthians two fourteen to 16. He gave us another reason for claiming our victory over sin. And this is what he said. He said, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one, a fragrance from death to death to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Being set apart, this holiness thing that we're talking about, has an impact on our world. You know when you come across someone who has the spirit of Christ in them. 
You know it. You can pick it up. There really is no better concept than that of us spreading an aroma wherever we go. So what scent are you wearing? What is it? Is it the scent of someone who's covering up his or her sin? The scent of one who's constantly being defeated by their lustful intent and and lives in ever-present shame? Or do you bear the fragrance of one who has been set free? Do you bear the fragrance of the strong, of one who is living in the triumphal procession that Paul wrote of? What Paul's hinting at here is that the people around us know what scent we're wearing. And our desire ought to be that the fragrance of Christ grows stronger and stronger in our lives, drawing people to the smell of life, not death and defeat. That comes through finding freedom, deliverance from the lust trap. Now, if we're going to fight this battle, which I pray that we are, um, we can't fight it like four-year-olds playing organized sports. We got to get our heads in the game. And no, I don't think this battle is a game. Um, I'm not downplaying the seriousness of the lust issue. What I'm getting at here is the need for us to think clearly about an issue that affects primarily our brains. It's a battle for our thoughts. It's a battle for our responses. It's a battle for our wills, our decision-making. So the battlefield has to be assessed, and we have to prepare for the battle. In Romans 12:1, Paul instructs us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That's a far bigger picture than us using our bodies or disciplining our bodies for the sake of our religious beliefs. That's not what this is. Paul's picture is about death and consecration. It's about sacrifice. And this is a daily sacrifice, especially when it comes to things like lust. Temptation is all around us every day. In our minds, we need to view our bodies as tools given to us, but tools that we surrender to God for his purposes. Within his purposes, our bodies can bring us great pleasure, but only if they've been sacrificed to God for his purposes. This rings true in many areas of life. Um, Even the church can be used for the wrong things if it is not offered up to God, if it is not set aside for his purposes. Our bodies were created for God's purposes. Our sinful nature is going to tell us something else, that they're ours to do with what we please, but we are to offer our bodies daily for God's purposes. Now, our heads also need to be in prayer. Um, Very soon in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to teach his followers how to pray. And one of the things he's going to teach us to do is ask him to not lead us into temptation. Do that daily. Pray that prayer. God may allow you to face temptation, but he will not allow you to be overtaken by that temptation. That's our choice. When we choose to go with it, that's when we get overtaken. Pray daily that he will not allow you to face that temptation and stay with that prayer every single day. Um, Wives, pray for your husbands. Husbands, pray for your wives. Um, I was doing some premarital counseling recently with a couple, and, and we went through this 
series of curriculum that they had found and they were really curious about. And so I said, well, let's just do it together and then we can talk as we're working through this curriculum. Turned out to be really good. I really enjoyed it. We had some great conversation. It was taught by this married couple and um, they're they're believers and, and they do this great presentation of marriage from a biblical perspective. And um, at, at one point, they're talking about this struggle, this temptation, this lust struggle that goes on. And um, they cut away to uh, a video that they had made of his wife, the, the one of the two teachers, explaining what she does in this area. And I thought it was a just a great illustration of how we ought to view this. And um, so wives, I have a a little idea for you. Um, She presented this and I thought it was so cool. She talked about how uh, she makes their bed in the morning. He's off to work and she goes and makes the bed in the morning. And, um, what she does is when she goes around to his side of the bed, she comes up to where his pillow is and she picks up his pillow and she fluffs it up for him and puts it down. And while she there, she's there, she stops and she says this in her prayer. Um, she says, Lord, this is where my husband lays his head. Now, God, you know, they're out there right now where he is. His head's being filled with all kinds of things. She says his head's being filled with sexuality and advertising and on, on the computer and everything else. She says, yeah, I know he's seeing beautiful women out there and, and all that kind of stuff. And so he comes back here to home and he's got a head filled with all those images. And so she says every morning, she said, God, will you give him a divine delete? <laughs> and she says, just erase those pictures, those images from his mind. And then she goes on to continue to pray about him and the things that he's going to face during the day. She just does something as simple as that. She prays for God to delete those things from his head. Um, pray God into your battle. That's where our head should be. Pray for your own battle. Pray for your spouse's battle. But pray, this is something we've got to bring before God if we're going to rely on his power to overcome it in our lives. Pray. Now, as we engage in this battle, our minds also need to be fixed on the fact that we do not face this battle alone. Hebrews 2.18 reminds us that we have a priest named, named Jesus Christ who also faced the temptations that we face. And his temptation was so much more intense than ours. But he did face that temptation. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us that he is able to help us face our temptation as well. Jesus was faced with the same type of temptation that we are. And here's what I mean. His temptation was a series of lies. So is our temptation. He was tempted to find power in a powerless source. He was tempted to find satisfaction in a merely temporarily satisfying source. He was tempted to give his allegiance to one who isn't worthy of anyone's allegiance. All things that we face in our struggle with lust. Remember that you are not alone. Keep that in mind always. Turn to him. Fix your eyes on him. Jesus won this battle and he can lead us to victory in this battle as well. If we'll just follow him there. So much of our lust gains its power from its ability to fill temporarily a void for us. The void is so often in our minds and our enemy can't wait to fill that void for us. So Paul instructed the church in Philippi 
to beat their enemy to the punch and set their minds on some things of God, things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And instead we fill our minds with things that are rude, inappropriate, sensual, self-serving, stimulating, gratuitous. Um, Can we really be surprised then at the presence of lustful intent in our minds? Fill the hole yourself. Don't sit back and let it be filled by whatever comes along. Now, we've talked about our reasons, our motivations for engaging in the fight against lust. We've talked about the need for us to have our minds where they should be every day as we fight this battle. And what's left to do is actually do battle. To get up figuratively and face the enemy of lust. And there are a few thoughts that I'd like to get in your heads as we wrap this up. First of all, we have to play good defense. And James wrote us a very good suggestion when it comes to this battle with our enemy. He simply said this. He said, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's good defense. He affirms Paul's words about sacrificing our bodies when he says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. But he also confirms our need to play an active and defensive role in this battle. We are to resist the devil. We're to block his attempts to draw us away from our father. We're to resist his presence, his schemes, and his tools of the trade. So Jesus said we're to dig our eyeballs out or cut our hands off. Could it be that he's telling you through through those words to put some filters or accountability on your computer? Could it be that he's telling you to get rid of your smartphone if that's what's causing you to pursue your lustful intent? Could it be that he's telling you to get rid of the TV in the basement? Could it be that he's simply telling you to turn your head, close your eyes... Or decide not to rent that popular movie because of what the sexual content in it is going to do to you. Don't close the door and think that leaving the window open is going to be fine. Resist. Resist. Build a secure defense system in your life. Make a friend and commit to being honest with each other about your struggles. Resist. We do have a part to play in this. We're to say no We're to shut off the computer. We're we're to simply not go to that site, to that store, to that station. Resist. That's our defense. We're to play good defense, but we're also to play good offense. And I love that James puts these together for us. So let's look at James 4, 7 to 10 all together. And we started with this one. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And here's the offense. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. We're to resist the enemy, but we're also to pursue the king. And the more we do, the more the king will draw near to us to do battle with and for us. 
I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you are not on mission, if you are not on God's mission, you are vulnerable. If you are on mission, you're still going to face the attacks. But it's a whole different story to face the attacks when you're pursuing God than when you're not pursuing God. We're to draw near to our Father and He will draw near to us. We can't find him to be totally sufficient if we're not even looking to him for for our sufficiency. So James says that we're to draw near to him. We're to pursue him in humility, knowing that we depend entirely on him for our victory. James' words sound a lot like the Beatitudes to me. It's putting it in practice. This is God's idea. We seek him. He comes to us. Then we find victory. And he Lifts us up. One final thought on this battle. We're to have a good defense and a good offense. And we're also to have an escape plan. And that's a biblical concept. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about temptation. This is 1 Corinthians 10.13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Um, This is not the same as the most common misquote of scripture that says God won't give you anything you can't handle. Um, He will. There's not much that we can handle. He wants us to turn to him and to turn to his strength. This is, this is what the Bible actually says. It says that God won't let us be tempted beyond what we can handle. There's a lot that we can't handle, but we can handle temptation. We can. You know what that means? It means that our battle with lust is not hopeless at all. That battle doesn't define us. It doesn't mean that God can't use us because of our struggle. It doesn't mean that we are lost and alone in our battle. What this means is that there is a way out. There is an escape. There is hope. And our hope is found in our faithful, loving, compassionate, forgiving Father who never gives up on us. Ever. No matter what we've gotten ourselves into, no matter what's happening in that that moment that we think is private, no matter how far we've followed the lies and deception of the one who hates us, no matter how weak we are, no matter how badly our weakness has hurt us and those around us, no matter how significantly we have forgotten who we are, no matter how shameful our behavior is or how far off target we are in our quest for life or fulfillment, there is hope. There's an escape. There is God. And there is grace. You have an escape. You have someone who will receive and accept you. You have someone who will forgive you. You have someone who will lift you up and be your strength. He has not written you off. He has not given up on you. He has not allowed you to face more temptation than you can handle. He is there and he is waiting for you to turn to him. He is your escape. God, your loving, perfect, heavenly father is there for you. Call out to your father this morning. 
call out to him. Call on him for the strength to face the temptation that leads you so often to failure. He knows what you're facing. He knows. And he will always be there. Longing to be everything that you need. Longing to be your escape. Longing to come to your rescue. Call out to him this morning. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and the worship team as well. And let's pray once more as they come. Father, we acknowledge this morning that we are in a fight on so many levels. As he came to the end of his life, Paul said, I've I've fought the good fight. Even people that have have been so close to you and have done so much for your kingdom know that they're in a fight. And Father, we declare this morning that the only way we're going to win this battle is on your strength. So once again, we just open that door to the lust in our lives and allow you to come in and make peace. Father, forgive us for every time that we pursue our lustful intent. For every thought that we have of finding satisfaction, of finding life, of finding meaning, of finding fulfillment in something or someone other than you. We plead for your forgiveness because you are our God. You are our Father. You are our King. You are everything that we need. So, Lord, as we fight this battle against lust, which is a daily battle for so many of us, we call on you knowing that there is an escape, that you have provided that escape. And so we call on you and we beg you to come to our rescue and deliver us from this battle, to set us free, to break the chains, the ropes, the bond that sin has on us. Daily. God, make us aware of the broader picture that's in play here. Make us aware of the fact that you see us every single second of every day. Make us aware of the fact that that what we're doing in the area of lust may well hurt somebody else. Make us aware of the fact that there's an enemy that hates us and wants so badly to destroy us in this area. And remind us of the fact that we don't belong here. And then one day this battle that we're having in this fleshly world that's ruled by Satan will be over and we will be perfected. And we will never, ever face this struggle, this temptation again. In the meantime, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us to remember that we always have an escape. To call out to you and to to remember that you are going to come to our rescue. Help us to resist the devil. Help us to draw near to you and to find you to be everything that we need every moment of every day. 
praise you for your sufficiency, for your grace, and for your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.